0: Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Let's go ahead and pray and invite the presence of the Holy Spirit with us as we open His Word So Father, we do thank you today for your word, and I pray, God, that you would bless us just richly as we open the word today. I ask, Lord, that we would understand it. I pray, God, that we would also glean from it, that we would grow by it, that you would give us the grace to live it out. I thank you, Lord, for the scriptures that we're going to read, Lord. We pray that you would encourage us and equip us and inspire us and instruct us that we could continue to do everything that you want us to do. We love you, and we look forward to this time together, and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Today, uh, the scripture reading is First Chronicles chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 20, and as you've followed along with us, you know that we will basically just only have time to go through either a New Testament book or an Old Testament book. We have gone through Deuteronomy, we have gone through Joshua and Judges, and now we're going through the book of Matthew together. We obviously aren't able to get every chapter, but today is chapter 20 and there's really a lot to cover. And so what I want to do is I just want to tell you about what is going on in Matthew chapter 20 and then we're going to focus on verses 20 through 28 today because we won't be able to cover it all. The first part of Matthew chapter 20, it opens up where Jesus tells the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. Some Bible translations will read the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And there's a lot of debate or dispute over exactly what Jesus is talking about. But you really can't understand what Jesus is referring to unless you connect it to Matthew chapter 19. And you have to remember, I think it was somewhere in the 1500s or the 1550s where chapters and chapter divisions were added. And so this, in the original language, it wasn't written that way. So chapter 19, chapter 20. There were no verses. There were no chapters. It was basically just a long letter, like a sea of text. And those got divided up and they did the best job that they could. But we know that sometimes it will break a conversation. And this is a great example because when Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 19 about the reward for the disciples, because they're having conversations like the rich young ruler, the disciples are responding to the story of the rich young ruler or that that account where Jesus encounters a rich young ruler and they're asking him about who can then enter the kingdom of God. And he talks about how, you know, how difficult it it is. Really, it's just an issue of the heart. And so the disciples, Peter mainly in verse 27 of Matthew 19 says, behold, we have left everything to follow you. What what then will there be for us? And then Jesus says, truly, I say to you, uh, those who have followed me, In the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you will also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now this is an important passage because of what we're going to talk about today in verse 20, but that actually opens Jesus up to help them understand who he is. Verse 1 through 16 of Matthew chapter 20, he tells that parable of laborers and he talks about how the landowner goes out and hires people at different times. Now, I won't get into it, but my personal opinion is that this story is just a response to what Peter was saying. Peter was like, what about us? What are we going to get out of following you first? And Jesus is trying to tell him that God is generous to all, and God's intentions or God's decisions cannot be judged by mere men. He is gracious, he is sovereign, and he is generous, and who is he to be questioned? That's what it has a lot to do with. There also probably is some implication there between Israel and Gentiles. And we see that in the last verse there, verse 15 and 16, Jesus says in verse 16, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Sometimes this would be referring to Israel being first. These are the first friends of of God. These are the first covenant people. And the Gentiles come along because of the second covenant, Jesus' covenant that he makes with the Father through his precious blood. So there's definitely some implication there and uh, it's not, won't have time to get into that today, but let's go ahead and read in Matthew chapter 20 in verse 20 through 28 today. And here's what it says. The mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you wish? What do you desire? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit on your right and on your left. There are other translations that talk about thrones. So it's talking about when Jesus comes into his kingdom, the idea of him sitting on the throne, he's the sovereign king. He's already referred to the disciples sitting on 12 thrones, ruling the 12 tribes of Israel. And so I believe that this is actually a response to what they've already heard. And so she's saying, can they sit on your right and your left and have these prominent places? Jesus answered, And he said, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said to him, meaning that they were right there with their mom, probably asking mom to do their bidding. I don't think it was just mom's ambition, but I really do think that James and John were pushing their mom, asking their mom to request this of Jesus. So they're all three there and all of them, they say, we are able to do this. And Jesus says, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and my left, this is not mine to give but it is for those whom it has been prepared by my Father. Verse 24, And hearing this, the ten became indignant. They were quite upset with the two brothers. And Jesus called all of them, and they sat down and he said this to them, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great Among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and he gave his life as a ransom for many. Now, again, verse 1 through 16, the parables of the laborers in the vineyard, Jesus closes with this same sentiment. He talks about the first shall be last. This is something that they obviously didn't get from that passage or that story, and so Jesus furthers it. When James and John's mom request that the boys would be able to sit in these thrones on his right or his left, these prominent places. This is a great moment for Jesus to re explain what his kingdom is all about. This is the Jesus way. This is the way of the Lamb. The way to serve is the way to greatness. Now, there's things in this passage that I think are really important for us to consider. Number one, is this passage is also mentioned in Mark chapter 10, namely in verse 35. And in verse 35, you see that James and John are the ones that raise the question. It's not just their mom. And so some people look at this as a contradiction, but it's really not a contradiction. When you think about the four Gospels, three of them are synoptic. So you have Matthew, you have Luke, and you have Mark. Those are the synoptic Gospels. John, 90% of John's Gospel is not found in the other Gospels. When you have the Synoptic Gospels, there are little details that are left out in each one because they're each a different account. Spirit-breathed, but for sure there are other little details that almost always fit into place. Sometimes there can be a little bit of a scribe addition or subtraction, but in reality, that's how that works, and it really brings a strength to the Scripture. And that's really what documents of antiquity are like you know when you have these different perspectives and they work together that's actually a profound endorsement of the text rather than a subtraction of it to have very little contradiction is massive and you won't be able to point to historical documents that that have this kind of cohesion it's just not it's not actually out there in history not to this degree at least and so you see that mark chapter 10 the boys ask the question here in matthew chapter 20 the mom is asking for them or they are, they are asking together. You might uh, remember, we look back. This probably is in context to the fact that Jesus mentioned thrones. And I think that this, uh, it's interesting to note that this request of who would have these great positions or this type of status of Jesus' right and left, this request had been given several times. And actually, it's not the last time that the disciples are asking for something like this. We see it all the way up into the Last Supper, where the disciples are still arguing among themselves about who is the greatest. They truly truly desire to be great. All of them wanted these positions. All of them wanted to be great. And that's something that we have to recognize. Jesus, in this passage, though, he starts to talk about the concept that greatness, true greatness, those that are going to receive the greatest reward, is going to happen through great suffering those that are going to deny themselves, those that are going to take on the cause of Christ, those that are going to give their lives away for the sake of other people, they're going to suffer greatly. And as a result of suffering greatly, their reward will be the greatest. That really is what Jesus is talking about. And you'll even read right in here where he says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? He's talking about the cup of wrath. And we find in Matthew 26, 39, this is where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying to the Father, and he says, "He says, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. This is the cup of wrath. He's saying, can you drink the same cup? And they said, we can. And Jesus says to them, you will drink of this cup. And we know that James was beheaded. We read about that in Acts chapter 12. We also know that John was exiled, tortured, then exiled to the island of Patmos, where he wrote most if not all of the book of revelation these men were tortured these men were persecuted and these men were killed john maybe not killed entirely he did he did die on the island of patmos we believe but they were tortured and they were persecuted they did they did drink from the cup of wrath and then he talks about this baptism as well he uses the term baptism in another portion of scripture This baptism, are you able to be baptized or immersed into this type of suffering? See, they do not know what they're asking and what's attached to what they're asking. And that, I think, is a word for us. We seek greatness, but we do not know what greatness truly is. Now, maybe we know because we've read the scriptures and we understand it now, but I think that it's important for us to kind of think through what this idea of greatness is. Do we think greatness is about being impressive? Do we think greatness is about being popular or being known or people liking us or people knowing our name? Here's the reality. True greatness is in every one of us. And we need to remember that. Greatness is in us. We were made in the image of God. Men and women were made in the image of God. Nothing else in all creation is made in God's image. That fact alone means that greatness is inside of us. Now, that greatness might have a lot of dirt on top of it, and so we need to humble ourselves, and we need to become like Jesus in order for that greatness to shine. But what does that greatness look like when it shines? Does it bring attention to itself, or does it bring benefit to others? Jesus is going to shift their understanding. He wants to shift their thinking. He said, it's not about being rich or well-respected or being impressive. Greatness, honestly, has everything to do with being like Jesus. And they are still thinking in their eschatology about Jesus rising up in military and political power and just ruling and dominating. And so this is in their mind. It's about might, and it's about power, and it's about being impressive, and it's about being more than all of that, having this type of authority that can just move everything else out of the way. And yet that is not what Jesus is about. And it's not what he wants his disciples to be about. And I want to read this to us again, just so we capture the true heart of greatness, especially in our times as well, where we think, that if we just push everybody out of the way and we just dominate everybody else, like then we will have everything that we're supposed to have as Christians, sort of this triumphant, physically speaking, geographically speaking, society speaking, that if we do that, then Christians will take their rightful place and everybody will get in line. And we may not say that, but I feel like that theology is creeping into the church. And it has been over the years where it's almost like this triumphant, mentality where if that's what we need to have, that's what we need to do. And that's what's going to set everybody else into their place. Like we have this great, like it's almost authoritarianism. And Jesus is like, that's not my way at all. You guys are missing the point. And look what he says to his disciples. And let's consider this for us today. He says here in verse 25, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. He's talking about authority and their great men exercise authority over them they exercise it this this is like it's a coercion this is force this is the way it is there's no inspiring people to a place of walking together in unity this is this is what you're going to do and this is how it's going to be verse 26 it is not this way among you i do not want you to take your cues from the world, from the Gentiles, from those that don't know God, from those that do not walk with God, from those that do not follow me. Jesus is speaking right to you and he's speaking right to me. Sometimes we are afraid because we do not have control. When we lose control, fear starts to crop its ugly head up. And so we want to gain control and we will lose the way of Jesus. We will lose our perspective of greatness. We will lose the understanding of who we are and how we are, because fear will lead us to try to grab a hold with in any means that we can. And we just sort of don't realize that we change and we become different or otherly than who Jesus has called us to be. And Jesus was about to give himself fully and completely as the greatest example for how it is that we inspire the world to know God and become who he made them to be. He says, But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Let me say something to you. We need to preach the gospel with our words, but the hands and the feet of Jesus and his body are compelling in the world. Let me ask you the question. What are you doing to serve people in your life that would inspire them to desire Jesus. What are we doing in our lives that aspire to true spiritual greatness where people around us are blessed, people around us are served, people around us are transformed and changed because they see something different than what they see in the world. If I were to give you my concerns about the body of Christ, it wouldn't be to punch them or say, you know, I'm better and they're not Part of what concerns me about us is that we forget the position that Jesus calls us to take, the position of a servant. We want to be this triumphant people. See, we are triumphant over sin. We are triumphant over the devil. We are triumphant over hell. Why? Because Jesus has conquered all of those things. And so now, because of the security that we have in Christ, we can now go and serve other people. But we're constantly trying to win arguments instead of hearts. And can I tell you today that it is about winning hearts and not arguments. Jesus won our hearts. Didn't he win your heart? That's exactly what he did. He came and he had all the power, all the power, all authority. And he could have done whatever he wanted to do. And you know what he did? He laid it all down because he knew that for the joy set before him, he had to endure all of this, give his life as a ransom in our place. He tasted death so that we could taste life. And you know what? We can do the same thing for the world that we live in. You want to aspire to greatness? We want to aspire to greatness. Greatness is to lift other people up. Greatness is to love other people to Jesus. Greatness is to be generous to the people that never will be generous to us. Greatness is to love people that will not love us in return. Listen, greatness is to be kind when people are rude. Greatness is to look like Jesus when everything else looks like everything else. When nobody will treat us the same, when nobody will be what Jesus truly is. Will you? Will I be that way? Jesus wanted to tell his disciples, you need to stop thinking about what you want and start looking at me and become like what you see in me because your mind has been distorted your hearts are fixed on something other than what greatness really is something like a weird illustration for me i don't know if you've ever helped somebody move you certainly moved yourself but there's that call that you get occasionally hey would you help me move and we're like ah You know, of course, we want to help our friends and our family members move, but moving is not something that we love to do. Moving couches and televisions and all of that, we get hurt and scratched up and everything. But here's the deal. Somebody asks us to move. When we start to think about that proposition, it's not enjoyable. It's not something we want to do. But I'll tell you what, I always feel great. I always feel great after I help somebody knowing that they needed help. Isn't that the truth? The reality is is that when we stand at the beginning of an opportunity, we don't always enjoy that. Why? Because the flesh screams. The flesh wants to get out of stuff. The flesh wants to do what it wants to do. But when we help people and we realize that in serving them, that we've we've done something wonderful, we've done something necessary, we've done something that was needed, what we find is that we feel great. We feel wonderful. We feel purposeful. Why? Because we took our energy and we took our time and we gave it to somebody else. And when we were otherly, when we were focused on lifting people up and serving other people, at the end of it, it's like a workout. You don't want to do it at first, but at the end you feel great. You feel wonderful because you did something to help your body. You didn't want to at first, but you found out that it it was great at the end. And this is the reality of serving, is we have to have a mindset shift. We've got to realize that the culture and the world is lying to us today, even now, about what greatness is or how we achieve it. That somehow we aspire to be like the great men and women of the past, and we look at their great exploits, and we think about the stand that they took and the the speeches that they gave. But reality is this, is that day in and day out, they suffered greatly. The people that we admire the most suffered the most. They did things in secret that nobody would ever put a camera on. There's no audio files to hear what that sounded like. The prayers that they prayed, the times they wanted to give up. If we want to aspire to greatness, if we want to be like Jesus, we've got to realize that it's all about giving over our lives, giving over our time, giving over our talent and treasure for the sake of him and for his kingdom. And when we do that, we realize that we have found something that you cannot buy. We found something that you cannot get anywhere else. You just can't. You just can't. When we serve others, it opens hearts. It opens minds. It opens lives. It opens conversations. What a relevant, relevant passage in the times in which we're living. See, what we do in the wake of Opposition, injustice, difficulty, trial, turmoil, political polarization. What we do, what we say shows where our hearts are. It shows what we believe about change. Really, people use the term when they talk about others, they use the word that person's stupid, that person's an idiot. Those terms show exactly what we truly believe about change. When we release our anger, when we release our fear, We're afraid that people are gonna control. We're afraid that we're gonna lose control. Here's the reality. You and I, we don't have control. We really don't. We don't have control. But what we do have is that we have the ability to exercise self-control and follow God's word. And when we do that, we find that we can inspire people rather than aspire to be over people. There's a difference. We in the body of Christ need a shift. We've got to be reminded about what true greatness is. This is what Jesus was teaching his disciples. And you know what? He taught them several times. I think this conversation looks different today, but I think this conversation is still a part of the Christian community. I still think that we are trying to fumble through what it actually means for us to take our rightful place in the world. What it means for us to position ourselves properly and to expect right and righteous things for the next life. How is it that we position ourselves? We position ourselves like a servant. The same thing that we read about in John chapter 13. Jesus himself had to demonstrate to his disciples how far he would go. Here we have the son of God, the son of man, the one that's going to give his life on the cross, be raised from the dead. He's the eternal son of God. He gets up from this last supper that they're having in John 13, and he has this towel and a basin of water, and he starts to wash their feet. Something that slaves would do, something that children were assigned to do, something that was lowly. And he's proving to them you want to aspire to greatness? Wash people's feet. Be willing to do anything to serve other people, to show them that this is the way. He came as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion. He came in meekness and humility. He is coming back as a conquering, ruling king. We are living in a dispensation where we are following the way of the lamb. And we've got to make sure that our life is bound up in serving other people, which reveals true greatness in the world that we're living in. How do we know that? Because most people won't do it. Most people won't live like that. The question is not about what most people will or won't do. The question is what, what, what are we willing to do? Are we going to aspire to greatness Do we want to follow Jesus into great places, great exploits? Are we going to serve? Are we going to lay down what we are? Are we going to give away our opinions? You know what our opinions will do is they'll actually build barriers instead of bridges, build barriers to the very people that we're called to serve. Jesus had to say so many things to his disciples, and it just echoes into our hearts today He talked about loving people. He said, don't just love those that love you in return. Love the people that will never love you back. You know what those people are? Those are people that are going to say things about you, say things to you in a way that's going to mess with you. We're going to suffer. The people that receive the greatest reward from the hands of Jesus are the people that are going to suffer the most. I'm concerned that we're not willing to suffer. I'm concerned that we complain at the slightest inconvenience. I'm concerned that if, if what we're going through in the world today over the last 20 years, if we're not willing to go through suffering for the name of Jesus, not just oppression, not injustice, that's not what I'm referring to, but I'm talking about in the name of Jesus. If we're not willing to go through suffering so that Jesus can be glorified, so that Jesus can be seen, so that Jesus can be believed upon, if we're not willing to do that, then what are we following? Whose manifesto are we listening to? Whose book are we reading? Whose influence are we taking from? Whose example are we looking at? What are we following? Is it the greatness that we see in Jesus, who's the greatest of all? Came from heaven and earth, came from heaven to earth, laid down everything so that people who would never deserve it and could never earn it would actually have second chance at what we call life, that we could come back into the original design for which God created us, that the just was given for the unjust, that the righteous was given for the unrighteous. Are we willing to do the same thing if we consider ourselves the righteousness of God in Christ? Are we willing to lay down who we are and what we are so that people who exemplify what we have, you know, this unrighteousness could come to know him. You know, we should choose people that make us upset. We should choose people on the other aisle. We should choose people that are saying things we don't want to hear. We should make people targets that for some reason politics would try to tell us we can't or shouldn't. That the world, the culture, the news, everything's telling us to separate and divide. Why? Jesus is telling us to go after, love, be generous to, Lay down your rights for. If we're so secure in who Jesus is and what Jesus gives and what Jesus has done, why are we so afraid to lose control when we don't have it to begin with? The disciples wanted control. They wanted to exercise authority over the Gentiles. They wanted it now. Jesus, take your rightful place. And by the way, can I be to the right or the left? Can I rule with you right now? I'm hoping it happens right now. When's the day? Is the day here? I hope it happens right now is I want to be great. I want to, I want to be right there with you. And I want to aspire to the throne. I would rather wear the crown, the crown of thorns, right? The crown of thorns, the cup of wrath, the baptism of suffering. This is what it's about. Why? Because this brings about change and transformation. Nobody does this, but Jesus, nobody does this, but Jesus. He gives them the example. The Gentiles want to exercise authority over people, want to tell them what to do, tell them where to go, tell them what to believe. He said, not you. That's not what I want for you. True greatness is to come up under somebody and serve them, love them, be generous to them, show them the way, speak to them about a different way. For those who are oppressed, bring them out of their oppression, go after people, and they might kick and scream. They might blame you and name you while you do it, but it doesn't matter. You do it because you follow my example. And we cannot let any other voice distract us or dissuade us from pursuing greatness that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's really what it's all about. It's all about following him, who he was and how he did things. First Peter, I believe it's chapter three, it might be four, but he talks about Jesus that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. He was like a lamb being led to the slaughter. But you know, he chose that. It it doesn't show weakness from Jesus. It actually shows greatness. It shows greatness that he was able to endure so much at the hands of so many. And guess what? He won. He conquered sin, hell, death, the grave, the enemy. He conquered everything because he was willing to suffer he was willing to let go of his rightful place in that time to conquer and to rule. He just humbled himself. He, he he became lowly so that he could come up under all of us. Jesus inspired us to see him as the God that he truly is. And we love him because of that. The beauty of Jesus is so magnificent and has won us over because nobody is like the Lamb of God. Nobody the question is, can we be like the Lamb of God? Or do we want to continue to struggle over who's great? Not just who's better, but who's in control, who has power, who has authority. If we just let go of that and we find the humble way of Christ, I think people will find the Christ that we're following. I think people in the church would lay down their arguments and stop trying to win the argument and start, start trying to win each other's hearts. And the world will see the unity that we have and they'll want it. They'll desire it. They'll love it. How did you do that? How, did you got, how are you guys like this? This is what I so desire for every one of us is that we become more and more like Jesus, less and less like the influences that we see out here because those are the very voices that we've been delivered from. And so we need not be afraid. We're not losing control. Jesus is in control. We've lost nothing. We'll lose nothing. But we should not lose our rightful place in serving others. And we should wash feet because feet need to be washed, lots of feet. And the dirtier, the better, ladies and gentlemen, the dirtier, the better. Let's wash the feet of the people around us, and especially those that have the dirtiest feet. They might be kicking in our face, maybe those are the people like the apostle Paul who once was Saul and became the greatest apostle who ever lived. Maybe our role is not to be the greatest in the world in terms of prominence, but significance is an entirely different thing. If we seek significance, we will simply serve and love and be generous and share the love of Jesus with people. But seeking prominence is an entirely different thing that we just discard and let go of. And we learn that from the disciples today in the words of Jesus. And let's pray into that. Let's pray that God would give us a revelation of his greatness and lead us in such a way where we are following him in both word and deed. Amen. Father, we do thank you today for your word and we pray god that as we aspire to greatness knowing that it's in us because we were made in your image we pray now lord that you would help us to be those people that look like you i thank you for the example that we see in the gospels where the disciples were asking one thing and when you answered them you showed them what it really was about and we get to glean from that today and we ask that we would learn the lesson that you were seeking to teach them that you would teach that lesson to us that in order for us to be first, it's about being last. In order for us to aspire to greatness, we, we, we're willing to suffer for the name of Jesus to be a prophetic witness of who you are in the world. And I just pray over us and over our time, Lord, that as we go out into the world today and we engage with people, Lord, would you teach us to wash feet, teach us to serve others, teach us to be generous and kind and share your love with others everywhere that we go. I pray, God, that you would use us today in a mighty way, and we thank you for what you're doing in and through us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.